0: My, uh, my 16 year old son, Zach, got his, uh, driver's permit this summer. So we have to drive 50 hours with Zach before he can get his license. And my hair is a little grayer and my life is a little shorter because of it. It's all good. Uh, this summer we were, uh, going from Marion to Muncie, taking a bunch of back roads to get there. Zach was driving. And I didn't know where we were, we were out in the middle of nowhere, but we had the GPS. And the GPS was sending us down a certain road, but there happened to be a roadblock. There was a police car with lights flashing at the roadblock, but there was enough room for us to get by. So I advised Zach, just go by the police car. We're going to continue on this road, because I don't know how to get to where we're going without this road. So we passed by the first police officer, come to another uh cop car and that cop gets out and tells us that we can't go any further there's a power line down and it's rather dangerous so go back out the road you came on uh, make a right make another right then a left and you'll get to where you need to go so we were heading out of the road that we weren't supposed to be on in the first place and got to that first cop car and that police officer got out of the car came over to us and he just laid into us Told Zach to put down the window. He said to Zach, you know, for what you just did, I can take your permit and suspend it for a year. He looked at me and he said, I can fine you $500. Where's your license, mister? He said to me. I said, "Uh, I don't have it with me right now. He said, that's not my question. Where's your license? I said, well, this is my wife's car. He said, that's not my question. Where's your license? I said, well, it's in the car that I usually drive, which is back home. Uh. He said, all right, get out of the car. And he called me and Zach over to the police car, and uh, he said to us, you know, uh, I've been here for about four or five hours, and thousands of cars have gone past, and you're the only one who went past my roadblock. Did you know that? I said, no, I didn't know that. He said, this is a dangerous road. Your family can be harmed. Do you want your family to be harmed? I said, no, I really don't want my family to be harmed. He was just laying into us. He was so close to my face, I could smell the coffee and stale donuts on his breath. It was terrible. <laughs> I was humiliated. This guy was so confrontational. Confrontation is a roadblock. King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26 is about to experience a roadblock of confrontation. Let's look at the passage. Second Chronicles 26, I'm going to be in and out of that chapter as we look at the king's Here's the early description of King Uzziah, verses 1 to 5. 2 Chronicles 26. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Eleth and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. I said it twice because the chronicler says it twice. It's as if apparently he realizes how crazy it is to make a 16-year-old king. I can see it now uh, for a 16-year-old. Think about the 16-year-old men you know. Imagine them becoming a king. My first edict as king is to cancel school and... My second edict as king is to replace the seven-hour school day with Xbox tournaments. Nothing against you guys, by the way. Uzziah is a brilliant military mastermind, probably from all the hours of playing Fortnite on the Xbox. And God blesses him with great success. It says in verse 5, Uzziah sought the Lord and God gave him success. It says in verse 8, that his fame spread far and wide. And that he became very powerful. And then in verse 15, sort of a summary of his early days, it says uh, that he was very successful, his fame spread far and wide, and again it says he became very powerful. But then, at the age of six, in verse 16 actually, oddly enough, this king who became king at age 16 takes a turn for the worse we looked at King Asa last week and King Uzziah experiences the same sort of issue in fact there's this pattern in the kings every king just about here's here's the pattern that we see in the kings Uh, the king seeks God God blesses the king the blessings go to the king's head and God will confront the king with a prophet or a priest and then the king has a choice to receive the confrontation or reject it, and that will determine the king's legacy. And that's what happens with Uzziah. He hits a roadblock of confrontation. Look at verses 16 to 18. Here it is. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That's for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful. And you will not be honored by the Lord God. King Uzziah overstepped his bounds and did an act that was only to be performed by the priest, burning incense at the altar of incense. He thought because he was so powerful as king, he can be the priest too. Power went through his head. It's like a kid in in a classroom getting up while the teacher's there without permission and beginning to teach the class expelled. It's like you going into your boss's office, putting your feet up on her desk and calling all the shots. You're fired. How dare Uzziah do this? And the most powerful four words in this whole chapter are these four. They confronted King Uzziah. Azariah and those 80 priests courageously confronted the king and that took a lot of guts. It would take a lot of guts to confront any king but especially a king like Uzziah who was so popular and famous and successful and well-liked. A king who could put them in prison or behead them or incinerate them. But they didn't care, these 80 courageous priests. They stood up for what was right. They saw Haughty in the house of the Lord that required the holy, and they confronted him. The question is, how will Uzziah respond? Will he receive the confrontation, or will he reject it? Let's look ahead. Verses 19 to 21. Here's Uzziah's response. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry at the confrontation of the priest. While he was raging at the priest in their presence, before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah the chief priest and all the other priests looked at him and saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. Listen to verse 21. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died, and he lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. The priest put up a confrontational roadblock, telling Uzziah to go out the road he came in that he's heading down a destructive road by taking on the act of a priest. All Uzziah had to do was drop the censer, do the right thing, turn and go back out and take a detour. But instead he held the censer in his hands, at the confrontation became defensive, and leprosy broke out all over his body as he raged against the priest. And now because of his leprosy, He's considered unclean according to the Jewish law, which meant if you're unclean according to the Jewish law, you can never go into the temple to worship. So now for the rest of his life, he's not allowed back in the temple. And because of the leprosy, he's forced to live in some separated house outside of the palace. He can't even fulfill his kingly duty. He's got leprosy. And now he's isolated, cut off from community. This young king was once successful, a military genius, famous, powerful. And now he ends his life, the last days of his life are spent in isolation and relative obscurity. And why? Because when God put up a confrontational roadblock of grace, instead of receiving it, He rejected it. And look where that got him. Every time the human heart is going down a destructive path, God in His grace and because of His love will put up a confrontational roadblock. He does it all the time. He'll post Azariah with 80 courageous priests or a cop with really bad donut breath. Or a friend who looks us in the eye and tells us the truth we do not want to hear. This is God's M.O. All throughout the Bible, that's what God does. Old Testament, Genesis 4, right away. Uh, Cain is heading down a destructive path of jealousy with his brother Abel. And God puts up a confrontational roadblock. He shows up to Cain. Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to get you, but you must overcome it, master it. Cain rejects the roadblock, kills his brother. And then in the New Testament, we see it in Jesus. Mark 10. There's this rich young ruler who has basically put wealth before God. He's a good guy, but he's idolizing wealth. And the text says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And sometimes when you look at someone and love them, you confront them with the truth they don't want to hear. And Jesus, looking at him and loved him, says, Dump your wealth. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Because your wealth is holding you back. Then come follow me. And he rejects the roadblock. Turns away sad, unwilling to part with his wealth to follow Jesus. How we respond to confrontational roadblocks of grace will determine over the course of our lives the kind of person we become and the kind of life that we live when God sees haughty in the house of the Lord, where there should be the holy, he will confront it and i 'll start with the church first peter four seventeen I hate this verse, but it 's true. Judgment will begin with the house of God. God is bent on purging the haughty out of the holy in his house. Now, we're always wanting God, I am, to sort of judge and discipline and confront the sin out there in culture. But that's not God's bent. He doesn't go to people who don't know better. He goes to people who should know better. He goes to people who have professed him with our lips, but in some area of our lives we deny him. And he puts up a confrontational roadblock to get us to turn the right way. It's all over Scripture. So the question is, how are we in the church at receiving confrontation that God sends our way through some prophet or priest or person. Are we better than the rest of the world at this? I remember my first confrontation as a pastor. I was 23 years old and uh, uh, got a lot of my friends from college to come to the service. This is college Sunday. That was like college Sunday for me. I was a senior in college at 23. It took me a long time to get through college, evidently. And I invited a bunch of my college buddies who didn't go to church to come to church on this specific Sunday. And while I'm preaching on the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, I'm ready to sort of invite people into a relationship with Christ. A guy named Andy sitting back there, right where Sierra is sitting, in a small little country church, raises his hand during my sermon. He's like the youngest member of the church outside of the college students. He was forty-five, which is like double my age at the time, the age I am now, just about. And he puts up his hand during my sermon, and I ignored him. But he wasn't putting it down. He was like Horseshack and Welcome Back Cotter, if you remember the show, right? oh, 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 oh. All of my friends saw him, they were laughing. I had lost the moment. Nothing in my education taught me how to handle one of these issues. So finally I said to Andy, what is it? And he didn't rebut my sermon or disagree. He just wanted to add uh, commentary to the parable of the Good Samaritan. But the moment was lost. My friends were gone. They were cracking up, laughing. So after church on Sunday, uh, I knew I had to call Andy and confront him. Again, he's twice my age. So I invited him over to the parsonage on Monday. He came in, and I gave him a big hug, and he's like a gregarious sort of fellow, and he hugged me with a big smile. I said, uh, Andy, uh, I just want to ask you to do me a favor. Next, next time you want to say something about the sermon or ask a question or offer a comment, would you please wait till after the sermon to do it? Well, Andy got sort of stone-faced, said he had to leave. And I thought he had to be anywhere but with me. And I went to give him a hug, and it was like hugging cold stone. He was mad. And I thought, I just lost one of my 25 members. He's never coming back. Well, Sunday rolls around. I'm talking to someone, and I see out of the corner of my eye, Andy's there. And he's coming toward me, I think to slug me. And I look over at Andy. He's got tears streaming down his face. And he hugs me, and he says, Pastor Lenny, I talked to my fiancé. And she said, you were right. I shouldn't have raised my, my hand during your sermon. I saw, thought, thank God for fiancés, right? I mean, and I thought, what a beautiful picture of reception to confrontation that was. And in my head, I started to make, to make a list of all the people I wanted to confront, you know? Because in my mind as a young pastor, I thought all confrontation in the church ended happily ever after. Boy, was I wrong. You know, we, we, we rave against culture because in culture today we say, you know, everybody wants endorsement. Nobody wants to be challenged. Every kid gets a trophy. <laughs> Nobody wants to be coached to do better. And I've discovered that what goes on in the culture has a funny way of seeping into the cracks of the church, too. Are we able in the church to lovingly confront each other and receive it? When somebody tells us our fly is down or we have a cliffer on our nose or we have egg on our face or the road we're heading down is a destructive road, do we receive it or do we reject it? Because if we reject the confrontational roadblocks of grace that God puts in front of us, we will, like Uzziah, end up with a leprous heart that isolates us from community with God and people. I'm not saying confrontation is fun. I hate it. I've never been confronted by somebody and thought to myself, this is awesome. Never. I hate it. I like confrontation about as much as I like vinegar or Dallas Cowboy fans (laughs) or political news reporting or the smell of junior high boys at a youth all-nighter. I hate these things. And anybody who likes confrontation is not right in the head. But here's what I've discovered. Some of the most mature Christians I know are people who will point to times in their lives when God put up a confrontational roadblock of grace and they received it. And it transformed their lives it it helped them develop spiritual muscles they did not have before the confrontation God has all sorts of tools for confronting us scripture sermons songs music movie books circumstances but most of all he does it through people friends spouse strangers enemies And there are two roads of response to rebuke, reception or rejection. I love that Robert Frost poem, Um, The Road uh, Not Taken. Two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled. And that has made all the difference. The well-traveled road of rejection to confrontation stunts our spiritual growth. It makes us cranky and cantankerous and proud and just flat out stupid because every time somebody holds up a mirror we run from it and we never grow. But the road less traveled the road of reception allows us to experience in the church iron sharpening iron so that we reach our full potential in Christ. So Think about the last time you experienced an Azariah. Somebody who got in your face. Eighty priests. A confrontational cop. A friend who loved you enough to tell you the truth you did not want to hear at the time. How did you respond? When the coworker challenged your work ethic, how did you respond? When your spouse questioned the motives behind your decision, how did you respond? When a brother or sister in Christ showed you that what you were doing, the road you were heading on was destructive and not in line with Scripture, how did you respond? And by the way, confrontation doesn't always come from someone who loves us. It's nice when it does. Sometimes it comes from Nebuchadnezzar. An ungodly king who God said was his servant to correct and rebuke his own people, the Jews. Why does God confront us? Because he loves us. Here's your homework Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 4 to 10. God disciplines those he loves. God, it says in that passage, wants us to share in his holiness. That's why he disciplines us. God does not exist to make us happy, but to make us holy, so that holiness becomes our greatest happiness. Like any loving parent, we don't want our kids ultimately to be happy. We want them to be healthy and holy. So if your 10-year-old kid comes to you and says... They want to get their favorite Fortnite character tattooed on their belly, you confront them. If your 22 year old brilliant daughter in her last semester at college wants to drop out and run off with some 32 year old jobless loser who she met online a week ago, you're going to confront that. God's the same way. God disciplines those he loves. And I guess what I'm saying is this, the greatest blessing in your life and my life, the greatest blessings of God are not necessarily the things He gives to us, success, fame, power, but the things He does to us, correction, confrontation, rebuke. That's how God makes us what he has determined we ought to be. Why? Because he loves us. Confrontation is a fire, refiner's fire. I love that image in Malachi 3. I call him Malachi because I want to make him Italian, but it's Malachi, chapter 3. It's a refiner's fire, it's a very familiar image for the Jews. The refiner of silver would put the silver in a heated pot and turn the fire up, the heat up so much, not not, not so that it was flaming hot and would destroy the the silver, because that could happen, but the fire had to be turned up hot enough to melt the silver and bring all the dross, all the impurities, all the junk to the surface where the refiner of silver, could skim it off and refine the silver. God, through confrontation, puts us in his refiner's fire not to destroy us, but to develop us. To refine the silver of our lives, to remove the dross so that we shine with the radiance of Jesus Christ. And how does he do it? Confrontation. That's how. And it hurts. God anoints people all around us to see the Achilles heel in us that we don't see. Thank God for those people. I remember uh, doing an evaluation with uh, the business manager at the church I pastored. And during evaluations with my staff, I would often say, okay, you evaluate me. How am I doing in my role to you? How am I doing as the pastor of this church? Just tell me. And this business manager, who I could have fired, had the courage of Azariah. And she looked me in the eyes and she said, Pastor Lenny, I notice when people disagree with you in the church that you keep them at arm's length you kind of shut them out. And she uh, she said that to me and you know I could have fired her. I was a power trip like Oziah. It was going to my head. I could have got rid of her. And I honestly thought about it. <laughs> but actually I promoted her to pastor. She's now one of the lead pastors of this church. Thank God that she pointed out my Achilles heel in ministry because it saved my ministry and made me better. The same thing happened with King David. King David and Uzziah have a lot in common. Same old pattern with the kings. In fact, David's destructive path seems much worse than Uzziah's. David allowed power to go to his head. He sees a woman named Bathsheba taking a bath. She's rightly named. He sleeps with her, commits adultery. She gets pregnant. In order to cover up the adultery he has her husband Uriah killed so David is an adulterer a murderer and no one confronts him for like 9 months And then in chapter 12 of 2nd Samuel verse 1 it says this The Lord sent Nathan to David And Nathan the prophet got in the face of that powerful King David and told him, you committed adultery. God knows. And then you committed murder to cover it up. God knows. And David could have just taken Nathan's head off if he wanted to. He could have persisted in being defensive and raged against Nathan like Uzziah did with the priest, but he didn't. He received the confrontation. He said, I have... Sinned. And because of David's response to confrontation, his legacy is not adulterer or murderer, but man after God's own heart. Why? Because he received a confrontational roadblock of grace. Lakeview Wesleyan Church. Are we a culture of courageous confrontation where we can love each other enough to confront your zippers down and receive it as a gift from God to make us better? So that That cop who was getting in my face um, sent Zach back to the car, and he's still yelling at me. And cars are driving by, and I'm humiliated. And I can smell his breath again; it was bad. Yelling in my face, and uh, he asked me the question, um, "What do you do for work?" I said, "I'm a professor," hoping not, hoping that he wouldn't ask me where I worked. He said, "Uh, "What do you teach?" I said, "I, I, I teach pastors." Theology and ministry courses. He said, where do you work? I said, Wesley Seminary of Indiana Wesleyan University. And he lit up. He said, that's the best school around. I love that place. He said, I sent my two daughters to that school. Love it. He said, I'm not going to give you a ticket today. And he said, I'm sorry for being so confrontational with you. But he said, if I wasn't confrontational and harsh with you and Zach and I just let you go, then Zach might be inclined when he sees another roadblock to go down it. And it might be the end of him. He said, I want this confrontation to stick out in Zach's memory so he never ever goes past a roadblock again. When we receive Confrontational roadblocks of grace. It just might save our life and our legacy. Let's pray. I'm going to close in prayer in a minute here, but I want you just—I I triple dog dare you to uh, to invite God this week, even to confront you in love, to make you better. Would you pray that prayer? God, if there's an Achilles heel in my spiritual life, would you put up a confrontational roadblock of grace for me? Would you just pray that prayer and then I'll close? Lord, thank you for being a father who disciplines those he loves. God, we throw ourselves into your refiner's fire. Take out the dross, the impurity, and refine us. We invite you to raise up an Azariah, a friend, maybe even an enemy, to get in our face to point out the Achilles heel that we need to deal with so we can move on and grow up in our relationship with you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for confronting us the way you do in grace. We give ourselves to you in the name of Christ, our Lord, who looks at us and loves us and sometimes confronts us as well as confirms us.
1: Amen. Would you remain standing for the benediction? If I didn't introduce myself well enough a few uh, moments ago, I'm Zach Bardsley. I'm the young adults and college pastor here at Lakeview Wesleyan. Um, If you guys are new here and you have any questions, especially college students, uh, I'm I'm your guy. Come see me. And uh, anyone else, our pastoral staff, will be happy to greet you. One thing I saw in uh, the scripture that Lenny shared with us today is something incredible. It says he refines those he would call sons and daughters. He would refine those he would call his children. And so he's building us to be a people that are unified, brothers and sisters, who act on the endurance that he would give us. And so let me leave you with this benediction from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. It says this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is it. You are dismissed today. I hope that you guys would join us for lunch. Um, It's going to be ready to be served over there in the cafe here in about five minutes. Thank you so much for being here today.